recorded live from around British Columbia, Canada. This is Ramsey Theory. No strangers at this party. In this program, students of Ramsey Theory investigate the deepest questions in the field and dig into the lives of the most notable modern theorists. The podcast is hosted by Simon Fraser University, which is located on the unceded traditional territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, Coquitlam, Skomish, and Musqueam nations. This podcast was made possible by the students of Simon Fraser University's Ramsey Theory Course, led by Dr. Vaselin Yungich, who is also the producer of this series, as well as funding from the Math Catcher Outreach Program. Stay tuned because this is Ramsey Theory, no strangers at this party. Hello and welcome everybody to Ramsey Theory. It's no strangers at this party. My name is Manan Sood and I'll be hosting this podcast today with my partners Wasim Khalifi and Kono Miriam. Hi there. My name is Wasim Khalifi. I'm an undergraduate student at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I'm majoring in computer science while also pursuing a minor in mathematics. I'm interested in mathematics because to me, it resides on the edge between science and art. On one hand, there are concrete answers that leave little room for interpretation. But on the other hand, it sometimes takes great creativity to find a solution. Through this Ramsey Theory podcast, I hope to learn more about mathematics through the lens of seasoned mathematicians. Hello, my name is Connor Merriam. I'm an undergraduate physics student at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm monitoring in mathematics. I'm currently taking a class on Ramsey theory, and I got into this project because I'm interested in becoming a science communicator and teacher. I think there's a lot of work to be done in simplifying interesting, complex ideas in ways that allow more people to understand them, develop interest, and make them more accessible to everyone. I hope this podcast accomplishes some of that idea. My name is Manan Sood. I'm an undergraduate student at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I'm in my junior year majoring in business along with completing a minor in mathematics. I've always been interested in mathematics because of its definite yet exploratory structure. Throughout this podcast, I aim to understand how great contemporary mathematicians think and go about solving complex problems. And we hope you learn more about math, Ramsey theory, and of course, notable Ramsey theorists. Speaking of notable Ramsey theorists, today we have Dr. Bruce Landman with us. Dr. Landman is a professor em emeritus at Augusta University in Georgia. Dr. Landman has also worked as a professor and chair of the Department of Mathematics in the University of West Georgia. Dr. Landman is a pioneer in Ramsey theory and has written over 50 publications on this subject. I would like to start off by thanking Dr. Landman and for joining us today. Welcome, Dr. Landman. Thank you. Well, to start off, Dr. Lanman, I'm curious, like, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself growing up? Well, I, I grew up in New York City. Um, and, um, well, I still have my New York City accent, apparently, but I've lived in the southern part of the United States probably for 35 years or something. But I guess once you have an accent, it's hard to get rid of it. I had loving parents and I had a brother, I still have. Um, my, actually, my mother is still living. She's 105 years old. Um, 
And, um, you know, they encouraged me to do, do my best in school and I tried to do so. That's interesting. Uh, talk, so, and more specifically, like, do you remember any uh, first memories related to mathematics while growing up? Yeah, well, I was quite young. I don't know how old I was. Perhaps I was four years old, maybe. Um, my parents had a very large book. It was some kind of a reference book. I think it was maybe a medical book or something. It, it had over, well over a thousand pages. I couldn't read or anything, but I knew numbers. So what I would do is I would sit on the floor with this gigantic book and I would randomly open the book and I would recite the page number, you know? So nine, they, they'd see me sitting at 835, 906, 134. I don't know why I did that. Another memory I have as a little child, maybe I was five years old. Um, at that time, people even in New York City would let their children out of the house. I mean, they would just open the door and say, okay, go out and play, you know, and I don't think people do that these days. But, but anyway, I remember going outside and walking around on my, on my block with my friends. And for some reason I was reciting, uh, I would start with the number one and I would double the number continually until I got to, you know, something like, uh, well, at least uh, over, you know, 4,096 or something like that. I just kept doubling it. And they were saying, how do you know that? And I said, I don't really know. <laughs> but so, so I guess I was getting some hints that maybe I liked numbers, you know, so turned out to, to ultimately be uh, <laughs> how I spent my career studying numbers. So so did you feel a, a pretty strong attraction to math and like in your, I guess, primary or, or high school, like uh, schooling? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. I mean, I remember in high school, somehow I, I formed this, it turned out to be a trivial kind of math problem, but I didn't know it, some kind of a conjecture that I had and I shared it with my friends and um, wrote it up and uh, I guess I was just always fascinated by, you know, those kind of problems. And so when you, outside with your friends, when you would um, double the numbers, would you be saying them out loud or would you, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say like, you know, uh, 32 and 32 is 64, 64 and 64 is 128, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I don't think I could go past about, you know, 10,000 or something as a five-year-old, but, but that's, that's what I did. I don't think I can as a 23 year old. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that uh, experiences back then when you were uh, people started forming like uh, seeing you as a prodigy or seeing, seeing something you like, okay, he get, this guy knows math and that sort of shaped your uh, decision to pursue it later? You mean, you mean later on, did it shape what I did later yeah. on? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that was always my best subject in school mathematics and then you know in high school it was my best subject and the, the teacher encouraged me you know to take I don't know to maybe read things that were more advanced uh, I wasn't really a prodigy or anything like that I really wasn't um, I was just good at math you know better than the other subjects and then when I went to college I had to declare a major and I said well 
math is my best subject, so I'll major in math. Um, but I wasn't sure. Uh, at that time, in the early 70s and everything, people were, you know, majoring in philosophy and this and that. And so I tried different subjects, but I ended up always going back to math. In fact, I remember I was, I think, in my third year of college, and I was still trying to decide, should I, should I complete a degree in mathematics? Or should I complete a degree? At that time, I was thinking of psychology. And then I remember what the turning point was. I, um, in my psychology class, I had taken, you know, a lot of math classes up till then and, and a bunch of psychology classes and other classes, but I had this psychology class and I kept putting this off, but we had to write a quote research paper. Like we had to do research on something and, and, and come to a conclusion and all this. And I ju it just bothered me so much. And what bothered me was I had no idea what they were talking about. I felt like this is such a gray area. And it was painful for me, <laughs> I think. Math, I liked because I always knew a statement was either true or false. You know, it's kind of, uh, if you answer a question in mathematics, you know you're either right or you're wrong. But in something like psychology or you know, a lot of fields, uh, it's kind of up in the air, you know, it's not so definite. And I thought I, there's no way I can complete this project. There's just no way, it just was, it just was not something I could, could, you know, really understand definitely. Like I could understand a math question, if I could solve it, maybe I can't solve it, but either way, I'll know, you know, what the answer, what the answer is. Um, so I, I ended up dropping the psychology major at that point and just kept doing mathematics. So moving on, uh, I'm curious, like, when was the first time you were introduced to Ramsey theory or anything around that subject? When did that happen? Yeah. Okay. Actually, it was pretty late in my career. I was a graduate student and um, I was getting close to the point where I had to pick a research topic for my dissertation. And I was fortunate enough to get a book it was called Old and New Problems in Combinatorial Number Theory. It was written, it was published in 1980, and it was by uh, Paul Erdesh and, and Ron Graham. And the book covered a lot of topics in combinatorial number theory, but that was my first introduction to, have you guys heard of Van der Verden's theorem? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was my first introduction to that theorem, and and related questions. And that, that really, that book made a giant, a big difference to me. And just, just is a beauty, it's a beautiful little book. If, if, if any of you fellas are thinking about, you know, pursuing research in math, uh, although some of those problems I'm sure are solved by, by now, I, a lot of them are not. <laughs> but, but just reading the way they present the questions and the, and, and the answers to some, you know, 
things that are already known. Uh, it just, it's, it's very um, inspiring because the, the problems, it, it particularly in Ramsey theory that's just on the number line, which is, that's what I, I've done. I can't do hard stuff, okay? <laughs> to, to me, integers are easy, you know, are comprehensive. You can comprehend things about integers, but some of the other stuff I, I'm not so good at, really. Um, but what's beautiful about the subject matter to me is the questions are, are very basic. They're very elementary. You know, you're talking about finding a set of integers, you know, or that has a certain elementary property, you know, they form an arithmetic progression or they add up to 10 or, you know, something really basic. Now, solving them is not easy. Sometimes it's very hard, but just the fact that it's easy to, 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 to just um, grasp the question makes it very attractive to me because I can't understand difficult things. So um, that's definitely a, like a theme that we've we've noticed across all of Ramsey theory. You know, uh, Dr. Youngick, our professor, will stop us pretty often and say things like, you know, all of this argumentation that I've used to prove this a high schooler can understand. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the concepts are very elementary. Not to not to reduce the complexity of some of the problems, but at least getting started and understanding what you're faced with is usually right. pretty simple. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, I'm curious, is there a particular uh, result or uh, a single topic like you mentioned Van der Woorden's theorem, right? Is there something that you love the most or is it? Uh... I spent most of my research, a majority of it is on um, either generalizations or um, variations on Van der Verde numbers. You know, it's either ch changing the question slightly in some way or changing the type of sequences you're studying or putting restrictions on the sequences or expanding things that are to, to um, things more general than an arithmetic progression, for example, things like that. I have written papers on some other things, but I always tend to want to come back to that. Uh, we should ask, how would you explain Ramsey theory to a five-year-old? Well, I'd probably do something like, I'd, instead, I would probably talk to them about the pigeonhole principle, you know, which Ramsey theory comes from pretty much, you know, and talk about how, you know, how many times do I have to grab a sock out of your, your, the drawer um, so that we get a pair of, you know, white socks, you know, that kind of thing. A little child can comprehend that, you know, and sometimes little kids can actually tell you the answer to questions like that. So a lot of times they'll, you know, get it wrong at first, but, but those, those kind of questions almost anybody could comprehend, you know, okay, I have a lot of white socks in the drawer and a lot of red socks in, in the drawer. You know, um, how many times, or I have this, you know, I have five white socks and five red socks, whatever. How many times if I close my eyes, do I have to, to pick a sock where you'll be certain that, that you have a matching pair, something like that, you know? And uh, 
those kids like those kind of problems because they're like everyday questions, you know, or you have a pizza pie, you know, and you have to split it among three people or such and such, you know, how many slices do we have to have? How many slices of pizza to guarantee such and such happens? You know, so I don't know if a five-year-old can answer that, but certainly a, an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old probably could. Well, I, I would say five-year-olds can. I know uh, there are some five-year-olds who can double up till 10,000. So. <laughs> <laughs> About your papers, right? You've written a lot of them I was going through. So I could understand some some of them. I, I needed a moment to understand. So is there is there a paper which you enjoyed writing the most? Or is there one that's close to your heart? Something about it? Um, well, it's hard to just pick exactly one. Um, I could mention one or two of my favorites, I guess you might say. Um, I really liked, and it's probably one of the least read papers because it was in a very um, non, uh, not a very uh, high level journal in a sense. It, it's called, uh, the journal is uh, Congressus Numerantium, which they publish uh, proceedings um, of this annual conference. And since I went, to, it's a conference in Florida and Anyway, uh, my, I had a paper in there in 1994, and what I, I really like about it is um, it, it deals with, uh, it ends up with an exact formula for a certain kind of Ramsey number. It's, it's a generalization of the Van der Verde numbers, and it's not common in papers I've read that you actually get a formula, you know, like what is F of K, you know, what formula do you have? And so that has some formulas. Um, it, that, that paper has to do with iterating, I'm not, not iterating, sorry, of um, arithmetic progressions modulo a number and Another thing I really like about that paper is it takes a family of sets that's um, not that big uh, and finds uh, reasonable upper bounds on the Van der Verde number, on the Van der Verde type numbers. They're not the Van der Verde numbers. Um, then there was a subsequent paper that I wrote. Uh, with Wysocka in 1997, uh, where we found some more formulas. Um, and there's a nice table at the end of that 1997 paper that, that I, I kind of wish more people would look at those papers. Those papers don't have many um, subsequent papers that you know people uh, took those problems any further. Um, but th that's, that's one of my favorites. And another one is I had the honor of writing a paper with Ron Graham. He's uh, kind of, in a sense, the father of Ramsey theory. <laughs> he wrote the book, uh, Ramsey Theory. Uh, the first version came out around 1980, I think, something like that. Um, but anyway, um, 
it was a, a thrill and an honor to collaborate with him. Uh, that was a, a paper that came out, I think in the, trying to remember, I think the late nineties, I think uh, in the uh, Canadian math bulletin. Um, and it was based on an idea of mine. And so I just, it was an honor to, to work with him and Tom Brown. Uh, he, he, he's, He's a professor emeritus at uh, U UBC. I'm uh, not UBC. For Simon Fraser, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's and he still does mathematics. Um, but anyway, yeah, I have some other ones that I like a lot. It's kind of hard for me to pick a favorite. Um, but I I would say the ones that that generated some specific formulas or um, what we call the degree of regularity. Like in other words, how many colors does the Ramsey property hold for where, where I was able to get a specific number of colors and beyond that number, it fails. Um, those are very satisfying. Did you have a sort of a Eureka moment or where you were like, it clicked and something around that? Well, I, I guess, let me think now, a eureka moment. Uh, when I think of that word, I think maybe what comes to mind is earlier in my career, maybe when I was working hard on my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation, um, I was studying, working with sequences where you take a polynomial and you, you iterate it. So you might, let's say P of X is a polynomial. You would take P of X and then P of P of X and then P of P of P of X. You keep iterating that function. Um, and I was looking at sequences generated by such polynomials where you're getting positive integer sequences. And in order to to really get anywhere, I had to figure out how uh, these sequences grow. And at one point, I don't know how exactly it happened. I was looking at a lot of things and asking people and playing with matrices and all kinds of stuff. And then somehow it all clicked where I was able to figure out how you get the last term, I mean, how you get the n plus first term in terms of an n term sequence. So, you know, how kind of, it gave me an induction proof for finding an upper bound on a Ramsey type function. Um, and maybe that stuff doesn't mean, you know, may not be clear what I'm talking about, but, but anyway, it was working on my dissertation, I guess that comes to mind, that kind of made everything click after that, kind of opened the dam and the water started, you know, flowing. So would you say like, uh, like, you know, people talk about Eureka moments where, you know, you're doing something else, uh, you're going on a, on a hike in a mountain and then you're not really thinking about it or you're thinking about it in the background and then all of a oh, sudden everything comes yeah. to you. Do you think those are real? Have you had a lot of those? Well, another one, again, I was a grad student working on my dissertation and 
you know, when you write a doctoral dissertation, a lot of times you need several good results. So you need, you know, kind of a few chapters, you might say, to your dissertation, uh, unless it's a super duper result, which some people get. Um, and I went to my advisor, who was a brilliant man. He was not a specialist in Ramsey theory, you know, but he was able to read, you know, everything I wrote and and things like that. But I went to him at one point and I said, I am just stuck. You know, I can't seem to get any further. I can't get over the next hurdle. I don't know what to do next. So he said to me, okay. And I told him all the stuff I'd been trying for the last you know, month or something. He said, I want you to take all your notes on that and throw them away. I want you to throw them away. And he dug into his file cabinet and said, I would like you to read this master's thesis that was written by a former student of mine. And that thesis had nothing to do with Ramsey theory. It was, it had a lot in it. I can't remember this, even the title of it, but it, it was just loaded with these powers of two, you know, and log base two and all this kind of calculation stuff. And, you know, it wasn't very deep because, you know, it was a master's thesis and I took it home and I spent about two weeks reading it. And then I just put it down. And then I went back to my original problem, which had nothing to do with powers of two or anything like that. But suddenly, <laughs> somehow, I started getting these bounds, you know, on what I was doing. And it had all these powers of two in it. It, it was, I can't quite explain it, you know, but I think the trick is, to let your mind rest. You know, if you, it, it doesn't do good to keep pushing, keep pushing, and you know, like I'm gonna work on this for 20 straight hours, you know, until I find the, it's much better to say, you know, I've been working on this problem for the last couple of weeks. I, I'm just gonna close my mind to that problem and sleep or watch a movie or work on some totally different math or go, you know, teach somebody some other type of math or something. And then you come back to it. You know, I discovered, I have this app on my phone that where I do crossword puzzles. I don't know if you, you know, it's a, just a, it's a little game, you know, you do crossword puzzles. Sometimes I can't figure out, you know, the answer, so I'm stuck. And so I close it. And then like a day later, I open it and I look at the same hint to the crossword puzzle thing. And the answer just comes to you, you know? So your mind, I think the answer is, your mind is working in the background, you know, un unconsciously or subconsciously. It's, it's working and it's better to, to let it have resting periods and then you go back to what you were trying to do. And sometimes you'll be surprised how creative you actually are, you know? It's interesting you talk about things other than mathematics. I'm curious, like when you're not doing math, what are you spending your time on? Like when you're taking your time off math, so. Uh, well, you know, I recently retired a year ago. So I suddenly, for the first time, have a lot of time. And actually I'm trying to figure that out myself. Um, so, but 
I think, well, I like to listen to music. Um, I'm, I'm, I care a lot about certain things in the world. Like I, I'm very much um, an animal person, you know? So I, I like to spend some time helping uh, either like a humane society or something that helps animals. I have three cats myself, so I, I like hanging out with them. They're, they're in a way, they're more genius, you know, than we are. Um, um, you know, I, I, my wife and I watch movies and, you know, certain interesting television shows. And I have two grown children who I like to spend time with. And, um, and I'm still, you know, I've still, actually the last 20 years of my career, I was doing more administrative work. I was mostly a department chair person all those years. And I was even a dean for a short time. So I, I didn't have a lot of time to do research the last 20 years, really, um, most of it. Um, so now I find myself, oh, I can work on any problem I feel like, you know? So uh, I'm not working really hard, but, but I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'd like to answer this math problem or this research problem, you know? So I, I still, I'd look at that more as a hobby now, you know, I don't have to do it to get promoted or, or anything or find a job, but, but it, you know, it's still fun. So I'm, I'm connecting with mathematicians that I maybe collaborated with in the past to see, you know, if we want to work on something together now. I work on theoretical problems that at this point in time have no known applications to the real world that I know of, you know, but what happens in mathematics is often decades later, you know, or maybe even 75 years later, somehow the things that we figure out theorems about actually find uses in the real world, you know? So, um, if they ask me what the heck is Ramsey theory and they don't know anything about math, I'd say, well, I'd probably give them an easy example like the party problem. You guys know the party problem. You have how many people do you need at a party to make sure you either have three people who all know each other or three people who are mutual strangers. I mean, they could comprehend a problem like that. And you could say, well, the answer turns out to be, you know, six. And this is how you do it. You show that you can have five people with, without this property, but once you have six people, you have to have the property. And then you say, so what we do is we study more general questions like that, you know? Okay, what if you, you're trying to have four people, all of whom know each other or all of whom are mutual strangers and, you know, so if you can bring it down to a real world problem that they can comprehend, you know, something like the pigeonhole principle, something that they can comprehend and would like to know the answer to, you know, it's, oh, yeah, I always wanted to know how many people in my family that we had to have in the same room in order to guarantee we had two people who were born, you know, in the same month or something, you know, whatever. Um, that might be too easy, but, but um, you know, so it is hard to explain, though. Um, but 
sometimes I think of mathematics as more of an art than a science. You know, they usually, at least in the United States, they put mathematics in a college of science usually, you know, and that, that's okay. Cause you know, there's math helps, you know, they use statistics and mathematics, you know, differential equations to, to, to do science. But, you know, when you think about the discipline itself, it, it's, it's more like, uh, you know, maybe studying grammar or studying logic or philosophy or something than it is like studying biology you know, or studying um, geology or something. It's, it's much different than, than that. You know, they do things by experimentation and, you know, writing lab reports and all that. And we kind of have to use our creativity to, to create something, maybe more like a poem. How would you say the, the field of mathematics has changed over your life? Well, it, it, it certainly... Um, it's changed a lot. Um, I mean, I think the electronic age, you know, when I started, when I wrote my first bunch of published research papers, I had to type them, you know, on a typewriter and, or give them to some person who then typed them up. Uh, we didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have email. So I think it's made a, a positive difference in the ability to collaborate with others, especially, and share work. Um, it certainly has sped up the production of new results, I think. You know, if you think about when I used to communicate with another faculty member where we would get together and co-author something, they were either in my same department or, we had to speak on the phone or we had to write letters to each other. So, you know, it might take a year to do something that right now might take five weeks. I'm, I'm just, you know, I mean, that's just an example. Um, and certain areas of mathematics have grown particularly fast. Maybe 40 or 50 years ago, they were not even a field much. You know, I'm thinking of things like combinatorics, you know, graph theory, thing, you know, things like that. Um, they, they, they existed back then, but they're so vast now, you know, there's just so much. And, and the other thing is they're all the different fields eventually become connected. You know, there's topological combinatorics and algebraic this, and, you know, you can put any two, maybe three branches together and you have a field you know, a, a, a field of study. Um, so I, I, that's one thing I really notice is the, the ability to collaborate more easily. You know, I've written a paper, I have a paper with I think four different co-authors and I don't think any of us lived remotely near each other. I think it was all done by email, you know? So can you imagine if we didn't have email, how the five of us could have, you know, produced this paper, you know, in, in one year's time or whatever it took, would have been, you know, it would never would have happened, probably. Are there any new uh, emerging fields? I think you mentioned combinatorics being relatively new. Um, are there any new fields of math that you are personally excited about? Well, 
like I said, I, I'm pretty much stuck in my, <laughs> um, you know, Ramsey theory, Van der Verden type things, um, or I look back at old, you know, classical type of problems such as the theory of partitions. But, but in terms of from a distance being excited about, um, you know, I'm the managing editor of a journal. Uh, it's called Integers of all things. Um, and we have a special section called combinatorial game theory. And combinatorial game theory uh, is a relatively young field. Um, I don't do that myself, combinatorial game theory. I don't do research in it, but that's an area that's, that seems very exciting. Um, and I guess some of the other things I, I was alluding to before about putting two fields together, you know, like uh, topological number theory, or, you know, there's various um, people study uh, things in topology where you, that's one thing I like about Ramsey theory, by the way, is you can approach it from a lot of different angles uh, because I have a rather limited, um, uh, library in my own brain, uh, I limited resources, I tend to just stick to like elementary number theory things or elementary combinatorics things when I do Ramsey theory. But there are people who are specialists and very knowledgeable about fields like analysis who do Ramsey theory or geometry and do Ramsey theory or topology and do Ramsey theory um, or logic or computer science and they do Ramsey theory, you know, so uh, dynamical systems is another one that really is uh, ergodic theory and dynamical systems. They've proven some of the strongest results in Ramsey theory, people who know those areas or specialists in those areas. So that, that's one thing that really attracts me to Ramsey theory is you can put a lot of different adjectives in front of, you know, the word Ramsey depending on where you're coming from. all the mathematicians and I'm just curious what your opinion is. Do you think math was invented or discovered? My initial answer is it was discovered. Yeah, I think what we're doing to me, this is just me, when I do research, I'm liking, likening myself to something like an archaeologist who is looking around for facts, you know, or looking around for evidence or for you know, connections, oh, you know, they might find a, a dinosaur bone in England and they'd say, that proves that dinosaurs were in England, you know, whatever they're doing. Um, and that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm looking at patterns. Okay, I find a new upper bound on some Ramsey type number. It was always there. I mean, I didn't create that. I discovered it, you know, so that, that's the way I look at it. That those facts were always there. They were there before humans were there. You know, these are, that's the way I look at it. They may be creating new branches of math, you know, but, but the math, you know, I feel like, okay, maybe none of us know a formula for Van der Verden's number, you know, or know its rate of growth. 
but eventually we will know its rate of growth. But that just means we haven't discovered it yet. I mean, we're certainly not, we're not powerful enough to, to make it have a certain rate of growth. We just have to discover it and improve that it's true. Definitely. Um, this is kind of unrelated to what we we're talking about, but are, are there any like anecdotes or, or stories you have from when you were an undergraduate yourself? Well, I think I told you one was the thing about the psychology. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, <laughs> for some reason, it sticks out in my mind. I went to the professor of the psychology class and I said, if I don't write this paper, can I still pass the class? And he checked on my grades. He said, well, it would come out to like a D plus, but you're allowed to take two courses pass fail. So if you want, you know, it'll ruin your chances really of, of counting this toward a psychology major, but you can get a P for pass in the course. And I said, that is what I want to do. You know, <laughs> I just... I mean, it's not that I didn't enjoy or find interesting the psychology material I had studied. It just felt like I can't grab this. You know, it's just too open. It felt, you know, but the math, it's like, yes, the answer is 12. You know, and then, and, and, and there was some kind of a sense of satisfaction writing the steps down to get to 12. Do you have any advice that you would give to a young person thinking about uh, getting a PhD or starting a career in mathematics? I'd say it's very, okay. At what stage are you thinking of the person is right now when I speak to them? I'm thinking they're, um, they're probably about to finish their undergrad. Maybe they're in third, fourth year. Okay, that's good. Well, I think it's very important, I would say, to have a pretty good idea of what area of mathematics, if you do pursue it, what area would you want to specialize in? You know, would it be algebra or applied math or something? Um, and then to make sure when you apply to university, graduate school, that you attend a university that has research faculty in those areas. In fact, I would suggest if let's say you're thinking of a particular university to do graduate work in, I suggest you go look at their website, look up each faculty member, make and check which ones are currently active in research. You know, some people, maybe they slow down. They don't do research much anymore. That happens um, and see what areas they are. You wanna be sure that if you find an area that you want to pursue, like let's say it's combinatorics or something, that you're studying at a university that is actively doing research in that area and it looks like they'll continue doing it for the next several years. Because when it comes time for you to work, to do a dissertation, it's really advantageous to you to do so uh, you know, under an expert in that field. Now, I realize you may not know exactly what field you want to work in, but if you can narrow it down to, let's say, two fields or maybe three, go somewhere that has enough research faculty. Um, and another thing I would recommend is if you want to pursue or you're thinking of pursuing 
a career in mathematics, most likely you're gonna end up at a college or university. And it's really to your strong advantage to have a, a good amount of teaching experience when you get your doc, by the time you get your PhD. Because you know when you're looking for jobs in academia and people see, oh, he's already taught you know, three different courses and he taught for two years as a TA, that's a real plus. You know, they, don't, they won't be worrying that you're not a good teacher and that's what they need. They need a teacher as well as a researcher. You know, so th those are the pieces of advice I would give. This would be advice to a young person now going into mathematics as a career. But what if you could go back and speak to your younger self? What advice would you give? Well, <laughs> I, I would say, I think, uh, how old was I? Who's the, how old is the person I'm talking to? <laughs> 22 or, or, oh, okay. That's how old we are. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a product of two primes. So you're, you're in the prime of your life, so to speak. Uh, I would say, um, don't pressure yourself. Um, if there are some math topics or problems that you found fun or interesting, just work on those and feel good about it. Don't, I guess, I guess when I look back when I was younger, I felt rather stupid in a way, you know, because when you're doing math, you know so little compared to what you could know. I mean, it's just true. Even if you're as old as I am, even if you're much smarter than me, even if you've mastered a field, you're considered a, a master of a field, you know a tiny, tiny fraction of mathematics, even if you're a super duper superstar, you, you know, and the tendency I had, and I think a lot of people I know had when they were in grad school or when they were even later in life or when they were undergrads, they're thinking, I'm nothing compared to these big shots. You know, I don't know anything. And my answer is, that's okay. Don't try to impress others. Just work on what you like. Be, and I mean, it, it also has to be something you have some ability to do. <laughs> to do. Um, you know, you can't just say, well, I really like, you know, uh, mathematical logic. So I'm going to be a, a logician. Well, if you're not good at it, you're probably not going to be a successful logician. But what I mean is something that you feel, you know, I got an A in algebra and I got an A in number theory. And I really like this topic in algebra. Okay, then just do that. You know, don't worry about how vast your knowledge is or just work on that because you're going to have to end up asking a lot of questions and reading a lot of other articles and books to, to, to get what you're trying to do, you know? So um, don't, don't, um, don't blame yourself for, <laughs> for anything, you know, be kind to yourself and, and realize that you are making a difference. Even if you're just, like me, you're in a narrow, most of my papers are in a rather narrow area. Okay. But you know something, I introduced a lot of young people to new research. I, 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 you guys, 
know about REU programs in the United States, research experiences for undergraduates. They probably don't have that in Canada because it's the National Science Foundation, but they might have the equivalent. But yeah, I think we have NSERCs. Okay. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to mentor, oh, maybe six years worth, you know, maybe like 48 students, you know, in my career who are undergrads and introduce them to research. You know, I don't consider myself that knowledgeable or, you know, some kind of mathematical genius or anything, um, but I had a good influence on them, you know. So I think whatever you want to contribute, whether it's in teaching or research, just go with what matters to you, you know. Don't try to be something you're not, you know, it's, it's okay. You, what you contribute is valuable. And if you don't like math, don't pursue it. It's okay. You know, I've had a lot of undergraduates in those research things ended up going into something else. And that's good. It was important for them to realize they really weren't that keen on doing mathematical research. And that's okay, you know. I think, I think young people today have a better, I feel like they have a more uh, open mind in terms of, changing their job, changing their career in mid in midstream, you know, like you might think, okay, I'm going to do this for a while. Uh, and then I'm going to go, if I want to, I'll try something else, you know, and you can, it's okay. You know, you don't have to like stay in one uh, corner and just be, you know, stuck in that. Well, uh, we talked a lot about uh, research today. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about what you're working on right now, if that's okay? Um... Well, yeah, like I said, I, it was only a year ago that I retired and found I finally had more time. So I'm working, uh, the problems I'm thinking about now, they're all in Ramsey theory. Um, I did try one a few months ago and didn't get anywhere on a different field of uh, what's called the theory of partitions. Um, so I put that one aside. Um, but in Ramsey theory, I'm working on, um, well, one topic is, <clears throat> it would certainly won't mean anything to a non-expert, but <clears throat> um, <clears throat> actually your professor, Jungik, uh, he um, wrote a paper on this topic. It has to, it, the, the words we use are a large set or an accessible set. Um, those are things I kind of, I think I invented the terminology for accessible set, uh, but whatever. Um, there's a lot of questions to be answered still on that topic. It has to, it's, it's an offshoot of Van der Verden's theorem, you know. Um, and then another one is also related to Van der Verden's theorem. Van der Verden's theorem talks about arithmetic progressions and an arithmetic progression is a sequence of things, say an increasing sequence where the gap between each pair of items is a fixed number, like one, three, five, seven, nine. You know, that gap is two. Uh, it's very difficult to know the, the value of the Van der Verden numbers when you're just dealing with arithmetic progressions. That's a, an old problem and it's very difficult. So if we make the problem a little bit easier, 
to make it a little easier, you loosen the requirement. Not only can you have arithmetic progressions, but maybe something more general. So if we define a sequence uh, to be a two-gap sequence, it's a sequence where each gap is one of two numbers, whereas in an arithmetic regression, there's only one number that could be the gap. You know, like the, the one I gave, the gap is two. What if you allow gaps of two or three? So like one, three, five, eight, 10, 13, that would be an example. So I'm working on, on that kind of a generalization of arithmetic progression to see if we can figure out more about the growth of those associated Ramsey functions. Um, another problem is a Ramsey problem related to the Fibonacci numbers. Uh, I wrote a paper with your professor and three other guys by email, that's the one I was talking about before we had five authors. Um, it had to do with Fibonacci numbers and Ramsey theory. And I'm trying to go further than we went in that paper. Um, so that kind of combines two different, you know, subjects. What is your earliest number? <laughs> or do you know the path? Oh, oh my, well, that's easy. Uh, my earliest number is two. Um, and, uh, there are three people that give me that number. In other words, they have an Airdash number of one. Uh, one is uh, Tom Brown, who I mentioned is in Vancouver. Um, he's your professor's doctoral advisor and friend. Um, another one is Ron Graham. If you don't know Ron Graham, I suggest you look him up on, on the internet, you know. Ronald L. Graham. Um, and the third one is another guy in Canada, actually. Uh, his name is uh, David Gunderson. Uh, I think he's at the University of Manitoba, maybe. Um, but he is also on that paper with the five authors. He was one of the five. Um, but he has an Airdash number of one. So those people give me an Airdash number of two. I mean, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, well, uh, I want to thank you, Dr. Landman, for taking the time today out of your busy schedule to speak with us on our Ramsey Theory podcast. We truly appreciate the answers you shared with us today, and I'm sure they will be of great use to the general public. Well, thank you. It was a really a pleasure to see you guys. I, but you, you guys are wonderful. You, uh, so can I just ask you, and if you want to stop the recording, it's up to you. I was like, I'd like to know, do you guys plan to continue in mathematics in graduate school or? Uh, personally, or I, I don't do? really know. I'm technically a, a physics student, but a lot of the time I tend to find math more interesting than my physics homework. Um, uh, so I, I'm leaning more towards going into education, maybe being a teacher. Um, but I've definitely thought about it and I definitely am yeah. thinking about it. Um, uh, all three of us have a math minor and Wasim is a computer science major and I'm a business major uh, and a math minor. So it's uh, all three of us come from a different background, but we do share a similar sort of interest for mathematics. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, I know you have a wonderful teacher of this Ramsey theory course. 100%, he must yeah. make it very interesting. Well, I, I was fortunate enough to, when he defended his doctoral dissertation uh, in 1995, I was fortunate enough 
to be asked to be on his, um, I forgot what they call it, but like his doctoral committee. They, in Canada, they usually require somebody outside the university to be on their committee. So he invited me and I came up and, and uh, enjoyed Vancouver. And that was uh, 1995. I bet you it's even more populated now than it was then. And more expensive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, still a beautiful city. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to everyone listening to our podcast today. We hope you learned a bit about Dr. Landman, a prominent 21st century mathematician. We have been Manan Sood, Vaseem Khalifi, and Connor Merriam. This has been Ramsey Theory. No strangers at this party. Broadcasting live from the traditional territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, Kukwetlam, Skahomish, and Musqueam nations, this has been Ramsey Theory. No strangers at this party. This podcast was made possible by the students of Simon Fraser University's Ramsey Theory Course, led by Dr. Vaselin Yungich, who is also the producer of this series, as well as funding from the Math Capture Outreach Program. My name is Aidan Wright. I'm the editor of this project. I currently study at the University of Victoria. soundtrack to this program is titled Rising Ronald in Memory of Ronald Graham. It was written by Nina Jokic, another alumnus of the Simon Fraser University Ramsey Theory course. Tune in again soon for more of the latest in Ramsey Theory and to hear more from mathematicians working at the edge of human knowledge. Thank you for listening.